Welcome to week five of our marriage course. It's entitled Breaking Bliss, A Marriage That Glorifies God. And this morning, what we want to do is we want to take a look at the big picture. So we've purposely started with more specifics in the first couple of lessons. Communication, conflict resolution, romance, mercy. Today, we kind of want to tie it all together with the big picture. So to get the big picture, turn in your Bibles to Genesis 2. 23 to 25, or look at the notes, Genesis 2, 23 to 25, and here we have creation narrative, and God has declared that it is not good that man is alone, and God has brought to man woman. This is now Adam and Eve, and having seen Eve, Adam declares the following in Genesis 2, 23 to 25. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were unashamed. Were not ashamed. This is what we all desire in our marriages. This is how God created us. And... It is a beautiful picture, but sadly, it is a picture that would not endure for all time. Genesis 3.16, in your notes, is the result of Adam and Eve choosing to go their own way, sinning against God, and God now speaks to the woman the curse, the curse. And here is the curse that he spoke to the woman in Genesis 3.16. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And here we find encapsulated the reason that we have conflict in our marriage. The reason that there is difficulty perhaps in your marriage today. It is as a result of the fall. So let me tease out for you two phrases here at the end of Genesis 3.16. When he says to the woman, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, the question you should ask yourself is this, what does that mean? What does it mean for a woman's desire to be contrary to her husband? Well, we find the answer to that in Genesis 4, 6 and 7, there in your notes, Genesis 4, 6 and 7. The word contrary, that English word contrary, is the same Hebrew word, and that word is used in Genesis 4, 6 and 7, and it helps us understand what the curse means for you as a wife when it comes to your husband. So Genesis 4, 6 and 7, reading from the notes, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you. There's that word contrary. But you must rule over it. What this teaches us is that the fact that the woman's desire is contrary to her husband means that she will be tempted often to oppose her husband for bad, right? So with Cain, God is saying, Cain, you need to repent because sin is crouching at the door and its desire is contrary to you. Its desire is to oppose you. Its desire is to even hurt you. We understand that, right? That's sin. Well, unfortunately, ladies, one of the results of the fall is that even though you love your husband, 
There is something in you, the Bible calls it the flesh, the sin nature, even as a Christian woman, that's going to be contrary to him. This is very instructive for both women and for men. Guys, let's go back up to Genesis 3.16. When it says that to the woman, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, and then it says, but he shall rule over you. That word rule is not a good word in the sense of a benevolent rule. It's that word rule, if you do your study in Hebrew, is the kind of rule, for example, that Israel's enemies would exercise over them in harsh subjugation. Whether it's the Palestine, um, Philistines or whether it's some other nation surrounding Israel, that rule there is not a benevolent, kind rule. It's a harsh subjugation. And sadly, men, even though as Christian men you have something in you that wants to protect your wife, wants to care for your wife, wants to nurture your wife, there is going to be in your flesh, in your fallen nature, a desire to want to subjugate her, to harshly treat her, in a way that would not honor God. This is the the, the sad consequence of the fall. Why am I sharing this with you? Because you need to know this in your marriage. You need to understand in your marriage. This helps us not take it personally at times, men. When your wife disrespects you, when your wife seems to be happy to have anybody's counsel but yours. You need to try to get a big picture and say, okay, this is the effect of the fall on my beautiful wife, and I'm called to love her and help her see the redemption of Christ in her life to be the woman God has created her to be. Remember, chapter 2 ended with naked, unashamed, one flesh, beautiful, harmony. Chapter 3 introduces the fall and the effects of the fall on the husband and the wife. And ladies, hopefully this helps you when your husband is being a jerk. There's no other way to put it. An insensitive, harsh man. He's wrong in that. But hopefully you can say, okay, I'm going to look beyond the hurt. I'm going to look beyond the disappointment. And I'm going to, I'm going to pray to God that the gospel of Jesus Christ would change my husband, would continue to transform my husband to be the man that he's called to be in the image of God that we see at the end of chapter 2. Naked, unashamed, caring for me, one flesh, an intimacy that is beautiful. Because disrespect on the part of the wife and harshness on the part of the husband kills intimacy. And I'm not just speaking of physical intimacy, but all kinds of intimacy. It makes us crawl into the shell. It makes us to put all the masks on and clothe ourselves so that we're no longer naked and unashamed, metaphorically speaking, but we're all, you know, armored up. <laughs> and and that's, a, that's a lousy marriage, right? So where's the hope? Well, look in your notes. Genesis 3.15. Even before God speaks the curse to the woman, he brings hope. He brings hope. And Genesis 3.15 gives us the first mention of the gospel, what what some theologians call the proto-evangelion. The first mention of the gospel is in Genesis 3.15. Read it with me. I will put enmity between you, he's speaking to the serpent here, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. This is speaking of Christ and the cross. This is God's promise to man and woman. This is God's promise to you and me that even though we've sinned and rebelled against him and gone our own way, he is going to provide a savior who will crush the head of Satan and will deliver us from the bondage of sin. He will provide that one who will enable us in our marriages to reflect God so that our marriages reflect the gospel. 
And that's really the point here in your notes. Jesus came to redeem fallen mankind, showcasing his gospel light in our marriages because the curse of the fall first affected marriages. Think about this. Yes, the curse of the fall means death. Yes, the curse of the fall means expulsion from the garden. But isn't it interesting that after addressing the serpent, God speaks of the curse of the fall affecting marriage, this beautiful institution. And for that reason, Paul in Ephesians 5 is going, to, is going to take the gospel truths that he preaches in the first part of Ephesians and he's going to apply it to this institution first because he's going to say this gospel not only needs to be preached, not only needs to be declared, but demonstrated. And one of the first places it's going to be demonstrated is one of the first places that the fall affected marriage. So, so you know, thank you for being here. Thank you for listening, those that are listening. This is bigger than just you being happy this afternoon or tonight. This is bigger than just you getting what you desire and God's put in your heart to desire. It is that, but it's more than that. This is actually the gospel of the kingdom of God shining brightly from our marriages here in this church and other churches in our community so that Jesus' name would be glorified in this earth. Your marriage is beautiful for many reasons. It's a love affair, absolutely. But at the basis of that love affair is God's love for us as his elect, as his people, played out in your love for one another. So let's go to these two points you have in your notes. Point number one, because all that's true, wives submit to your husbands as the church submits to Christ. You can see the text there in the notes, Ephesians 5, 22 to 24. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Ladies, you get to reflect this part of the gospel of the church, God's people, God's elect, submitting to God. This in no way subjugates you to your husband at all. As a matter of fact, you get the opportunity to reflect that aspect of Christ that represents his submission to the Father. So let's talk about that for a moment. Before we speak about anything else when it comes to submission, before we start asking, what does submission mean? What does it look like in my marriage? What does all that mean? Before we even get there, let's start with God, shall we? We believe in the Trinity. God is one God, three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. As Christians, we believe that God is one. Therefore, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are equally God. You cannot say that one is inferior to another. You may not say that. You cannot say that. And if you've ever said that, don't say it anymore. It's wrong. But they have different roles in redemption. It is the Father who sent the Son. It is the Father and the Son who send the Spirit. Jesus himself said, I say what I hear the Father saying. I do what I see the Father doing. I submit to my Father. All right, that helps inform us. Is Jesus equal with the Father in his being? Absolutely. In his worth? Absolutely. Is he to be worshipped as God, even as the Father is worshipped as God? Absolutely. So ladies, when, it, when you think of submission, It is not, as the world will derisively lie about it, saying that you are less than your husband. You are not. No, never. But you have a different role. 
because as we reflect God, God is ordained for the woman to reflect him in marriage, in submission to her husband, even as the church submits to Christ. So what does that look like in your marriage? I can't tell you that from this pulpit. I can't. I can tell you that it looks like a hard attitude. I can tell you, now I can give you some principles. It means respecting him. Clearly in the text it says that. Um, I can tell you that, that he is to care for you. And I can tell you that he is to lay down his life for you. We'll get to that in a moment. But how you work that out in your marriage specifically is going to have to be something that you continue to read this text and other texts. Jot this down. 1 Peter 3, 1-6, ladies. 1 Peter 3, 1-6. There are others. What comes to mind is Colossians, which is a companion uh, book to Ephesians. They're both prison epistles. I forget where in Colossians this is, but it's there. I think it's in 3 at the end of chapter 3. I can tell you this. The Word of God is going to inform you, and you and your husband are going to walk this out. I can tell you that he's the head of... He is your head in that sense. I can tell you that um, th- there are many scriptures that speak about this, but I can't tell you what it looks like in your marriage. If you come to me for counsel, I will give you some. I will share with you what it looks like in the Pinos household. Um, but I can tell you this, what's at stake is the gospel. I can tell you this, when you get up in your husband's face and withhold yourself and are... Uh, disrespectful, and just really hard to lead, you you need to slow down and look in the mirror of the Word of God and say, okay, Lord, I don't know exactly what it looks like here, but I'm sensing by your Spirit that this may be not the way it looks like. But that's the Holy Spirit that's going to bring that conviction as you soak in these scriptures. But here's the point. What's at stake is the gospel. Men, Point two, on the back side of your notes. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Let's read that together. Ephesians 5, 25 to 31. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. What jumps out at me right away is this idea of a body, of a body. So the the appeal, men, to us is, firstly, we love Christ, we love our wife as Christ loved the church, and he gave his life for her. He was crucified for his church. He bore the pain of his church. He bore the sin of his church. Now, we can't be crucified for our wives, and we can't bear their sin, but you get the idea. There's significant service involved there. But what else jumps out at me is this idea of a body. He says to you, you're you're the same body. You would love your own body, so love her. I love that logic. But then he quotes Genesis 2, 24, I believe it is. I forget what verse it is. That on verse 31, I believe it's Genesis 2, 24. And he brings us back to what? The end of chapter 2, creation, when they are one body. Right? Both physically, 
The act of marriage is you are physically united. But beyond that, they're united in their souls. They're, they're naked and unashamed. I find that fascinating. I think, I think there's something there. If you are sane, you do not damage your own body. Now, if you're temporarily insane, right? People will cut themselves or whatever. But if you're sane, you don't inflict pain to your own body. Boy, is that helpful, man, in the midst of a conflict. Boy, is that helpful when things get tough. She's your body. You're one flesh. And, And so Jesus came to redeem us and to work out that redemption in how we treat each other in marriage. And one of the images is redeeming us back to that place where we're naked and unashamed. Both, I mean, there's all kinds of layers of application. Yes, that does, we haven't talked about this and we won't in this class, but we can talk about sexual intimacy and we can talk about where is your marriage when it comes to sexual intimacy. And sometimes that's a barometer of where you're at just with your hearts and your lives. And, and, and if you need counsel in that, listen, we are here, we're available. Uh, and, and that is important. So at that level, right, there's a nakedness and not being ashamedness and an acceptance of one another. But then there's this whole other level of, who I am and my weaknesses. Do we cover each other's weaknesses or do we expose them in a shameful way to others? And there's this whole other level of, of being one flesh and, and, and there's just this synergy that, that the, 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 the sum of the whole is greater than the parts. So you get two parts that come together and so, so, suddenly what is created is far greater and far more glorious than what each of the parts can bring. And that's, that's marriage. It bears fruit, literally, from your body, right? You have children. Isn't that beautiful? So instead of coming together and detracting from one another, holding each other back, when we come together, we actually produce something, both physically and in other ways. That's the goal. Now, if you're sitting here thinking, oh, wow, we're so far from that. Okay, but Jesus died to redeem you. Jesus rose from the dead to give you hope that that can be the case in your marriage. And if you're not married yet, you can be praying this way. And just just say, Lord, this is the goal. Why? Because what's at stake is the very name of God, the very nature of God, the very gospel of Jesus Christ. And we see that in these last verses of Ephesians. Let's look at them. The last couple of verses there of Ephesians. Verse 32. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So there you go. There's the foundation of my marriage. And then verse 33. It's interesting. Verse 33, he basically summarizes all those things that he said in verses 22 down to 30. Here's the summary for those of us that need the the cliff notes, right, in college. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. So there it is. One body, one flesh. I love that. It's just images of Genesis 2 are dancing in my head. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. That's the reversal of the curse. I'm not going to be harsh with her because we're one flesh. I'm not going to disrespect him and be contrary to him because I submit to God and the church submits to Christ. And this submission reflects that. We're equal, but this reflects that. And that's greater than me. And therefore, I'm going to live for him and not me and trust him. Ladies, that that 1 Peter 3 passage is so helpful because it talks about Sarah. 
And if you think about Sarah's life, Abraham a few times asked Sarah to compromise her morals even. Not directly, but he put her in a position where she would be compromised. You can read about that when you study that passage. And yet the Bible says that Sarah submitted to Abraham, not fearing, but trusting God. Now it takes a mature woman to do that. As, as, as somebody once said, any dead fish can float downstream. Today's culture is telling you ladies one thing, but it takes a strong person to swim upstream. Not because necessarily you ultimately trust your husband, although you're working toward that. And men, we need to work toward being trustworthy, but because you trust your God. That even if your marriage isn't what you want it to be, you know eternity is going to be far more than you ever imagined it to be. And you trust Jesus. And I'm sorry for your suffering, because I know there are some of us that truly are not trustworthy, and some are downright scoundrels. And we, we all have our scandalous moments as men. We do. But you, you, you submit not based on the man's worthiness. You submit based on your Savior's worthiness. And yet we want to be here to help, okay? You hear what I'm saying? And then men the same way. I mean, you, you love your wife. You, 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 you love her, man. That's what it says. That's what the summary says. Love his wife as himself. Even when she's being unlovely. You understand that there may be times where she's tempted to just be ornery, contrary, mean. She knows how to hit you better than anybody else. She knows you. She's seen you naked. <laughs> she knows where all the soft spots are. She knows where everything she could share with that would hurt you would be. Even when that's happening, try to understand this. Give her the benefit of the doubt. She doesn't want to do it, but she's giving in to temptation that, that we find all the way at the beginning in the fall. And you love her. You wash her with the word. And when you fail to, you repent, and you guys hit the reset button and start all over again every day. Repentance is a way of life. Um, you know this. Any conflict is short-lived as soon as somebody starts repenting. What, what intensifies the conflict is when we're just doing battle. I'm right. No, you're wrong. I'm, if you would do this, but if you would do that. But the moment somebody just says, okay, it's about me and God first. Lord, forgive me. Sweetheart, forgive me. Man, de-escalation. And then all of a sudden, it's about what does God want, not what I want. Uh, there's hope. There's hope. 32 years into it, there's hope. Um, life is going to come at us, man. Life's going to come at us because our, one of our enemies is the world system. The enemy, the devil's going to come at us. That's another one of our enemies. And from within, we're going to have that enemy from within that is very subversive. Um, but Jesus is greater than them all. He defeated them on the cross. And that victory is being worked out in our marriages. So I just want to, just want to encourage you with that. Um, I want to pray for you as we, as we conclude our class. Uh, there's much to be said here. There's many great resources that you can... Uh, access some great books there's paul tripp's got some good stuff on marriage uh, dave harvey has a great book on marriage when sinners say i do um, desi and i just finished reading a book called the grace-filled marriage the grace-filled marriage and the author escapes me right now but it's a great book very practical uh, hey the bible let's start there soak in these texts Ask God to give you that reality. And uh, let me pray for you.
Lord, I pray for the marriages at Palm Vista at various stages of this glorious vision of what marriage is and why you created it and how it's to reflect the gospel. Lord, I pray encouragement for those that are sitting there right now listening or thinking and saying, wow, can it be? Can I even dream this? Can I even fathom this? Lord, I I pray that you would speak to them, yes, because of what your word says. Because of Genesis 2, the promise in Genesis 3.15, the fulfillment in Christ and Ephesians 5 and 1 Peter 3. Lord, give them hope. Spirit of God, bring hope to hearts that are weary, perhaps a bit bruised and hurting and or maybe even bitter. The grace to repent and, and to receive your grace. Lord, thank you for that scripture that, that God is opposed to the proud in James 4, but he gives grace to the humble. Lord, may we humble ourselves. And um, Lord, deliver us from evil and the evil one. Lord, um, give us joy in our marriages. Uh, Lord, I, I pray for many of those who are yet to be married at Palm Vista, that there would be a move of your spirit, dare I pray this, for the desires of their hearts to be fulfilled with godly spouses. Yes, for their happiness. Yes, and their good. But for your glory, that those marriages would be dynamite, lighthouses for the gospel, that much good would be produced out of that, that there'd be a synergism, that that marriage of those two individuals, the sum of them would be far greater than what each one brings to it. Lord, it would just be a work, it would be one of your works that we delight in. I pray that, Lord. Pray that for the children to see the gospel worked out between two sinners, their parents, but who are saved by grace and are humble and walking it out. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name for the sake of your name, your glory amongst the nations. Oh, Father, hear our prayers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.